welcome to our continuing educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility, and we help you manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Trey Scott, coordinating attorney at Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law back with us today. Trey received his Bachelor of Science and Master of Business degrees from Texas Tech University and his JD from Texas Wesleyan University School of Law, now Texas A&M University School of Law. While in law school, Trey was a member of the arbitration com competition team, as well as a student bar association representative. He also was a law clerk for the 106th District Court of the state of Texas. Trey has a significant experience in healthcare law. This experience includes medical malpractice litigation, administrative and regulatory appeals and disputes, professional board matters, and overpayment disputes. Trey is licensed to practice law before Texas state courts as well as the United States district courts for the northern, southern, eastern, and western districts of Texas. Trey is also licensed to practice before the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. So Trey, welcome for being, uh, welcome and thank you so much for being here today. We um, sure, sure are excited to have you back. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Catherine, and thank you to First Healthcare Compliance for allowing me to uh, give this presentation. And thank you to everyone that is out there uh, listening and following along. I definitely appreciate the interest in this uh, topic. And this is a topic that it's somewhat complicated and it has a lot of nuances and that's what we're going to be discussing uh it may not be as uh, deep on some areas but if you have questions and you want to go a little bit deeper on some of these areas uh, please reach out to uh, Catherine or please reach out to me through the contact information and i'll be happy to uh, answer those questions and uh, feel free to submit your questions in the uh, question box, and I'll get to as many of those as I uh, possibly can. And um, 
Yes, so let's let's get started. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, discounts and waivers. Uh, what are they and when do they apply? Uh, as Catherine stated, my name is Trey Scott and I am the coordinating attorney with Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law in Dallas, Texas. Um, we are a health law boutique. That means that the only area of law that our firm practices is health law. Um, the firm has tried to think, uh, I was gonna say the amount of combined experience we have, but uh, I, I, do know it's, I do know it's a lot. Uh, it's over 50 years of uh, combined experience in health law, so whenever it comes to uh, practicing health law, the attorneys at uh, the firm, we, we like to uh, think we know what we're doing and we have the experience to back it up. So, um, let's, uh, so let's just talk about where we're going today. Um, with this presentation, we're going to be discussing what what is a waiver or discount, and then we're going to be discussing when waivers and discounts might apply, and probably the most important question, and this is the question that a lot of y'all uh, want to know, and that's, are they legal? So we will be uh, discussing all of that. Now, uh, as stated, my name's Trey Scott. I'm a coordinated attorney. Uh, my contact information uh, is below. Uh, like many of you uh, out there, I am currently uh, working from home. And so the best way to reach me if you want to uh, discuss topics that we um, discuss here, that would be either email, which is trey at markkennedylaw.com, or reaching out to me on my direct line, which is uh, there as well. If you want, you can call the office and then the call could be routed to me, but uh, more than likely the best way to get me is gonna be uh, my direct line or on uh, email. Now, I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, as I stated, I am working from home. And if you know anything about working from home, you know that uh, sometimes you're unfortunately interrupted by your uh, feline and uh, dog friends. So uh, I happen to have both in the house with me right now. And they do take a lot of naps. So I wish I could say that I got to join the, uh, in with the naps during the day, but that actually isn't the case. But if you do hear background noise, I apologize in advance. Uh, it's just the furry friends doing their uh, doing their thing. So let's, Catherine mentioned some of the experience uh, that I have. Um, I'll just touch on it briefly to give you an idea of um, what I've what I've seen, I've represented multiple clients in cases involving the Department of Justice, HHS, OIG, uh, Texas Health and Human Services Commission. Um, yes, so represented clients in those investigations and productions. 
Uh, I've also done medical malpractice defense uh, with a AMLAW 100 slash global 200 firm represented uh, hospitals and um, nursing homes in medical malpractice uh, cases. Uh, I've represented providers before multiple boards, uh, including medical, nursing, professional counseling, dental, pharmacy boards. Have quite a bit of experience uh, because this tends to be the area that I get a lot of cases in uh, is representing providers in UPIC and ZPIC appeals, including statistical sampling and extrapolation overpayments. And then finally, I've represented providers in Medicare and Medicaid, revocation, suspension matters, and also exclusion matters. So now let's get into the uh, presentation. What is a waiver or a discount? Well, it's they're pretty much what they sound like. A discount is a reduction in the amount owed to a provider by a patient. A waiver, by contrast, is when a provider intentionally decides not to pursue collecting a debt or payment from a patient for services. Now, you see these all the time in uh, the course of normal business activities. And whenever I say normal business activities, I mean every other business out there aside from healthcare, because healthcare is kind of its own industry. So um, we're not going to be including healthcare in uh, normal business activities. So like a sandwich place that you go to multiple times, uh, you get a discount on your Kemp sandwich. Or for example, Starbucks, if you collect a certain amount of stars or points, I can't remember what they're called, uh, you end up getting a free coffee after, after a certain number. So that, is an example of a waiver and a discount in normal uh, business uh, activities, normal business operations. Now, what is an example of a waiver and discount in healthcare activities? That would be charging a different price for a cash visit instead of submitting the claim to insurance and just a heads up, um, whatever I refer to uh, insurance, I'm going to be including uh, Medicare and Medicaid in that term. Uh, I'm not going to differentiate between commercial insurance and uh, governmental health programs. Uh, another example of a discount would be uh, charging a patient a reduced price for multiple uh, multiple tests. Uh, for example, you have a patient that comes in and uh, they're experiencing symptoms and they need a uh, COVID test, they need a flu test, and also you want to test for uh, strep. Uh, you would offer a patient a reduced price for multiple tests. Now, uh, one other caveat, these examples that I'm providing right now 
aren't examples of whether aren't, shall we say, examples that could be considered uh, legal. That's um, that we're going to discuss that in a different slide. These are just examples of waivers and discounts that we have seen, that we have heard about uh, in our area of practice at the firm. And uh, finally, a discount is essentially any mechanism or action that reduces the amount owed by, uh, by a patient. Again, a discount, fairly obvious. A uh, waiver uh, would essentially be seeing both a parent and their child and only billing for the visit for the parent. And then another example of a waiver would be not billing for a patient because you believe you won't be able to uh, collect the money. So those are some examples of waivers and discounts. Now, when would discounts apply? Now, discounts can, and there is a caveat there, apply in a couple of settings. And this list here is not exclusive. There may be other um, there may be other examples of when a discount uh, can apply, but these these are the areas that we have seen uh, them to apply whenever and you get not as much pushback from uh, the government or other uh, insurance carriers. So discounts can apply in a couple of settings. Uh, for example, when a cash discount is offered to patients. Now, a issue there would be that you don't need to discount, provide a cash discount so far that you undercut uh, your own contracted rate with uh, insurance carriers because then you may get into an issue with uh, your insurance carrier and that would not exactly be a fight you would um, want to have to deal with. Um, another example of when a discount would apply would be when a provider discounts a copayment to the amount a patient would be charged after the provider receives payment from uh, insurance and Medicare as opposed to the use of usual and customary charge. An example of this would be, for example, the usual and uh, customary charge being $2,000 for a service, but you know insurance slash Medicare uh, would pay 1,200 of that. Well, you, you would end up charging the patient um, their percentage of a copayment of the $1,200. That would be an example of a, of an, of a discount. And then finally, uh, when a provider offers discounts to a select few patients due to extreme financial hardship. And that does exist. And unfortunately, uh, due to uh, the world we currently are in, uh, financial hardship has been um, more prevalent than ever for uh, some individuals. Now, I discussed a few of the caveats, but there are caveats to 
these, hence the um, asterisk. Uh, it's honestly safer and less risky uh, for a practice to offer no discounts. That always is uh, the best approach. If you're not doing it, then there's nothing to investigate. And then, uh, for example, on the extreme financial hardship, you're going to have to get financial information from the patient that would show that there is a financial hardship that could be uh, providing, getting a budget uh, from the uh, patient, a tax return, multiple, multiple financial documents uh, would suffice, but you need to get that documentation to show that a financial hardship actually exists. Now, when would waivers apply? Uh, waivers can, again, apply in a couple of settings. Uh, a waiver would be a apply, possibly apply in a professional uh, courtesy situation. For example, you see a, another doctor in the uh, community and you end up waiving the, uh, waiving the copayment uh, due to the fact that this is a doctor doctor in the community and as a professional courtesy, you waive that. Uh, waivers could also apply uh, for a safe harbor. Um, that would be a situation where you do not believe you're going to be able to uh, collect the debt and you go through a process of uh, waiving that bad debt uh, off. And then finally, uh, waivers can again apply in a situation of financial hardship. Now, just like I uh, discussed previously, uh, there are some caveats to this. And one caveat would be financial documentation would be required to uh, waive for a financial hardship. That is just something that has to be provided. Uh, if you are going to have a patient claim a financial hardship, they have to document it and it has to be in their own uh, writing and it has to be in their own documentation. It's not something that you can just say, oh, well, I believe you, and we're going to we're going to waive this. There has to be documentation, just like everything else in um, healthcare. If the documentation isn't there, then it doesn't exist. So you have to have financial documentation to show a financial hardship, and uh, for the uh, safe harbor. As I stated, they, there are certain requirements that have to be met uh, in order for a safe harbor waiver to apply. And then uh, finally, a professional courtesy should not be extended to those that can or could potentially uh, refer patients to the provider. 
if you give a waiver to a provider that in turn can end up referring patients to you, then you start getting into a situation where you could be violating a lot, several different uh, federal laws involving uh, Medicare, Medicaid. You, if it's an instance of a commercial uh, commercial payer, you also could get in a situation where you could be violating some uh, some laws, regulations there. I know Texas uh, HHSC uh, has been pursuing instances of um, improper uh, kickbacks and things of that nature with commercial uh, commercial insurance. Uh, sorry, not Texas HHSC. Sorry, Texas uh, Office of the Attorney General. Uh, my apologies. They have been um, pursuing instances of what is deemed illegal referrals and uh, kickbacks in commercial uh, payors. Now, are discounts and waivers legal? Short answer, yes, they, they are. Longer, more precise answer is yes, but it depends. In some certain instances, they are perfectly legal. But overall, documentation is needed, for example, in the instances of uh, financial hardship. And overall, uh, there are overall considerations that need to be made uh, whenever you are considering discounts or waivers. Now, why? Why are why this long um, answer? Whenever you said that, yes, in some instances they are allowed. Well, um, I would hope this is something that all healthcare providers are aware of. But the reason it is it depends is because of uh, federal law. It it the False Claims Act, uh, for example. If you're unaware of the False Claims Act, uh, essentially it boils down to that it is illegal to submit claims that a provider knows or should have known are false or fraudulent. That's big, the should have known, uh, because it's assumed that every claim that is submitted by a provider's office, the provider has signed off on, and that the provider is aware that that claim is, is going to be submitted, and they signed off on the claim, and it is good to go. So that's where the should have known um, false or fraudulent comes in. An example of this would be if you were to take a cash payment for services and then you were to bill Medicare for that cash payment, that could uh, be a false claim. And as far as what you are facing with uh, false, this False Claims Act, um, 
you can it the false claims act may result in fines up to three times the medicare or medicaid loss plus eleven thousand dollars per claim filed now an example of this we'll just do the math really quickly here you bill 10 false claims that you know that the provider knows or should have known were false or fraudulent the loss to Medicare on the claims is roughly $2,000, just picking a number out of a hat. Uh, Preble multiplier, the three times multiplier, brings the loss to Medicare to $6,000. So whenever it's saying three times, you multiply, uh, you multiply the loss times three. It used to be double, but then they upped it to uh, triple. And then, you have to calculate the $11,000 per claim. So since there were 10 false claims, that's 11,000 times 10, the 10 false claims, that brings it to $110,000. And the total penalty, if I did my math correctly, uh, which I believe I did, it brings the total pen penalty to $116,000 for just 10 false claims. And in addition to that, the False Claims Act has some uh, provisions, or there also is a criminal uh, False Claims uh, Act. My, my apologies. It can be found at 18 U.S.C. Section 287. And the penalties for um, a, the Criminal False Claims Act uh, include fines, additional fines, in addition to the uh, civil action and or imprisonment and um, I know this some of you are probably wondering this yes you can have a situation where you are uh, actions are pursued against you uh, civilly and criminally the information I discussed in the first two uh, full bullet points uh, that's the Civil False Claims Act and the Criminal uh, False Claim Act can, like I said, include fines and or imprisonment. Those can be pursued uh, together. Now, the situation that normally applies whenever it comes to discounts and waivers is the anti-kickback statute. Now, this is whenever a provider um, or this applies whenever a provider uh, knowingly and willfully uh, pays uh, remuneration to induce or reward individuals for uh, patient referrals or for the generation of business. Now, go back to what I said earlier. Um, in normal business activities, Giving people a referral bonus uh, is a standard accepted practice. For example, I got a, um, I signed up for uh, HBO Max to uh, watch the new um, Wonder Woman uh, movie that came out. And shortly thereafter, I got an email that said that uh, if I were to refer someone to uh, HBO Max, then I could get a month free. Um, you, you see that a lot. You see it a lot with cable companies as well. 
um, sign up for uh, AT&T and you get a discount on your uh, next bill. That in normal business is accepted. However, in healthcare, because healthcare is built on the premise, whether it's correct premise or not, but healthcare is built on the premise that providers or that patients should be able to choose their provider. Whenever you are offering things, um, whenever you are offering remuneration uh, to induce or reward individual for referrals to get patients to come to your business, that is seen as taking choice out of the equation. And that's, again, since healthcare is built on the premise of patient choice, that is not seen favorably. Now, remuneration includes anything of value and can take many forms, uh, many forms beside cash. I know some examples of that are offering uh, hotel rooms uh, for people to refer patients, offering uh, directorships uh, to physicians or other healthcare providers to uh, refer patients. It can, it can include um, free rides. Now there's a caveat with the free rides as in some situations it may be allowed, but it offer it includes offering free rides to um, a provider. It, it essentially includes anything that can uh, be seen as a reward to get patients to come to your practice. Now, go back to the example I said earlier of offering the professional courtesy uh, to a provider in the community. If that individual that you offer the professional courtesy to can refer patients to you, then it can be this, that can be seen as a uh, that can be seen as remuneration and was in violation of the uh, anti-kickback uh, stat statute. So that's why discounts or waivers, those can possibly be seen as remuneration. So you have to be very, very, very careful uh, in that context. So what are the penalties uh, for the anti-kickback statute? They include uh, jail terms, fines, and ultimately exclusion uh, from participating in the federal health care programs. And finally, uh, the last one we're going to talk about is the physician uh, self-referral law, which everyone knows as Stark. Uh, it ultimately uh, prohibits referral to physician or family-owned entities for designated health services. Now, there is a long list of what can be considered uh, designated health services. It's multiple, uh, multiple things uh, that ultimately are standard practice in healthcare, and they are um, that unfortunately can be. Uh, 
seen as illegal. Um, now, this is not as common whenever it comes to discounts or waivers, but ultimately it still could occur and that's why it is being uh why it is being mentioned. Now penalties for Stark include uh fines as well as exclusion from uh participation in the federal healthcare programs. Now you're probably wondering what can apply uh whenever it comes to uh commercial uh, insurance providers. Well, like like I said, um the Texas uh, Office of Attorney General uh, has pursued uh, illegal uh, kickbacks, uh, stark violations, um, and also false claims through, through commercial insurance um, and has ultimately sought um, penalties against uh providers in uh in Texas for uh doing those those things illegally even though they weren't billing uh Medicaid and they weren't billing uh Medicare they were just billing uh commercial insurance providers however the Texas attorney general uh still opened an investigation and uh brought uh charges against um these individuals and um now we will go to um ultimately uh we will go to uh questions i know uh this has been a little bit of an overview so if you have any questions um i hope as you were going along uh you were able to uh submit them uh through the uh portal uh to ask uh ask Catherine and um, I now turn it over and look forward to your questions. If I don't get to your question, um, remember, uh, feel free to reach out to me and I'll happily uh, answer it, reach out to Catherine. Uh, she will forward it, forward it on to me and I'll try to get as many of those uh, answered as I possibly can. Thank you so much, Trey. Um, that was a, a really great presentation, and we do have a few a few questions here. So um, the first one is: you mentioned there is a long list of designated health services. Can you give us some examples of designated health services? Yes, uh, that is a good question. I apologize, I muted myself, so that. Just a okay. second, but uh, yes, there are uh, multiple uh, things that can be considered uh, designated health services. Like I said, it pretty much in, uh, encompasses all of um, all of healthcare. It, it's ultimately a lot of a lot of things. Um, designated health services could be uh, clinical lab services. It could also be DME. Uh, radiology and other imaging, uh, home health services, outpatient uh, prescription drugs, uh, inpatient services. It ultimately can be a lot, a lot of different things. So it's very important to um, think of that whenever you're uh, potentially referring 
something to a uh, entity that is owned by uh, you or your immediate uh, family member. Okay, all right. And in the first place, how would the OIG or the DOJ or, or any other agency, how, how would they find out in the first place that discounts were occurring? I mean, how would they even know? That is a very, very good question. Thank you uh, for asking that. Um, uh, that is one thing that uh, whenever I was putting this presentation together, uh, I ultimately was going to going to discuss, but uh, ended up leaving it out because I wasn't quite sure on time. But thank you for uh, thank you for mentioning it. Mentioning it, uh, there are a lot of different ways that a agency can find out about uh, discounts and or uh, waivers. Uh, one of those is through uh, audits. Now, I don't know how many of you have had to deal with an audit. Probably everybody on the line has had to uh, deal with an audit. And if you haven't had to deal with an audit, just wait. Um, they, they will be coming, whether they're through uh, an insurance, uh, commercial insurance carrier, or through uh, a, a uniform program integrity contractor, uh, such as uh, Clarence out of Dallas. They're a large U-pick uh, for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, what they'll do is they will submit a uh, documentation request uh, it could be a random uh, audit or it could be a targeted audit, audit based on uh, information they receive. And they will submit a request for a patient list and then they will ultimately review the uh, medical records, which goes back to uh, the comment, if it isn't documented, it didn't occur. So just keep that in mind if you ever have an audit and uh, first healthcare compliance uh, can help take care of making sure you have policies and procedures and uh, other uh, programs in place to make sure documentation uh, exists and you know what to do in that context. Um, it, could, it could occur through the audits where like I said, they uh, request the records, review them, then ultimately determine uh, whether the proper amount was billed or if um, a false claim exists or ultimately just things of that nature. The most common way that uh, waivers and discounts are discovered is through whistleblowers. Now, um, Statutes uh, make it clear that whistleblowers can be or are uh, entitled to a portion of what is recovered if they go through what's known as the uh, key TAM process. So waivers and discounts may be discovered through whistleblowers or they could be discovered just through a simple uh, complaint to a uh, to HHS OIG. On HHS OIG's website, they have a submission form uh, where if you know of what's, what they call uh, fraud 
and or waste, uh, you can submit a tip to them. So that is where a lot of these uh, investigations get started. If they start with a complaint and then um, you receive a subpoena and or a uh, civil investigative demand from the Department of Justice or from HHS OIG. And ultimately, they determine whether discounts and waivers uh, and waivers occur. And so that's that's how a lot of them. That's that's how a lot of waivers and discounts uh, discounts occur. Honestly, uh, they also could occur simply from word of mouth. If word gets out uh, that you are offering discounts to uh, patients, then somebody's going to talk to somebody who's going to talk to their cousin who ultimately works with um, healthcare, uh, works in a healthcare uh, context with um, HHS or with a state uh, healthcare uh, provider, and they are going to talk to their superiors and see about an investigation. So that's ultimately how uh, these discounts and waivers um, occur or are found out. So you're saying basically it's a small world. <laughs> basically, it is a small world. If it's being done uh, it can occur. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention, uh, mention it can also be a uh, provider in the community that tips off uh, the uh, a, tips off the uh, agency because if a um, if a competing provider finds out that you are giving a discount. Uh, what more would they like than to get rid of a competitor and ultimately get some of their patients? Uh, we have seen this in a health uh, in a home health context uh, occur quite a bit. Uh, that if they discover something um, is being done, uh, if one a provider discovers that discounts are being offered, then they will uh, tip off the uh, regulatory agency. And that's not something you want to have to go through. Huh. Okay. Um, so, so in light of these things, um, should, should providers give discounts or waivers? What are your thoughts? That, that depends. Um, Ultimately, cash discounts and financial hardship discounts, waivers, those tend to be the safest. And by safest, I mean those tend to be the ones that have uh, ultimately been determined to be uh, legal uh, without question. However, it's not something that um, should honestly occur in um, every situation and the least risky uh, situation is to um, not offer uh, waivers or discounts and the reason I say that is because ultimately 
you are not going to be the one to determine whether a uh, waiver or discount is legal. It's going to be up to the, and uh, this, it's unfortunately how to, how this is being said, but ultimately it's up to the agency that is uh, prosecuting you or is bringing um, a civil action against you. It's ultimately up to their interpretation as to whether this waiver or uh, discount applies. So the least uh, risky approach is to offer uh, no waivers or discounts. And uh, the one that has ultimately been found to be acceptable is um, the ones that have been found to be the most accept uh, acceptable are the cash discounts and the financial hardship discounts slash waivers. Um, if you looked at if you looked at like a spreadsheet of um, you know um, different um, discounts and waivers that were given or uh, things like that, what um, do you know offhand? Uh, you know, or, or off the top of your head, what types of facilities um, were usually giving more more of them, or or if they were smaller or or larger or um, you know what 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 has been your sense or or do you know that by any chance? Um, I know that uh, in in a context uh, the smaller of the smaller facilities uh, tend to provide uh, the uh, cash discount uh, just because it's easier to uh, it's easier to keep up with. Uh, they offer a cash price, and uh, if you don't have uh, insurance or if you um, are just able to pay cash, then that's what uh, that's what's uh, provided. Uh, but whenever it comes to the larger institutions, that's whenever the uh, like your hospitals uh, or your uh, surgery centers, that's where the financial hardship uh, ultimately. Uh, we see that waiver discount a lot because they're able to uh, they're able to put together a committee uh, to review your financial documentation and ultimately reach a consensus as to whether a uh, hardship does in fact exist and what they can do about that uh, financial hardship and what they would be able to uh, ultimately ultimately charge and uh, financial hardships, discounts and, uh, sorry, uh, waivers and discounts, we also see those in a context and this is a context that you never uh, really want to see. Uh, ultimately, if there is a uh, bad outcome and we see that in uh, hospitals, ultimately, or search centers if there's a bad outcome due to um, negligence on the part of uh, people involved, uh, then a discount slash waiver uh, could be offered, but ultimately it would need to be offered off of the total bill, not 
off of uh, any particular uh, particular service. That, and there's a lot of procedures that have to be uh, followed on in that context. Uh, so that that one really depends. But we kind of see it with both um, small providers and Going back to your question, we kind of see it with most small providers and large providers. It just ultimately, uh, the waivers and discounts are uh, different as to what's offered. Okay. And um, if, so this question came in, um, if we do give discounts and waivers, what, what should we do? Make sure the recipient pool that a discount or waiver is given is small. If a discount or waiver tends to be a standard business pre uh, practice, then that really is going to raise a, a red flag. Uh, for example, um, there's there was a physician that was giving uh, waivers and discounts to patients, and ultimately that ended up that ended up uh, with them giving. Um, or getting unnecessary treatments and having a very high utilization rate. And then the government uh, ended up bringing uh, false claims and anti-kickback, uh, anti-kickback uh, anti uh, actions against the provider. And uh, the provider is now uh, it's having to, having to deal with that. So that's, that's something that, uh, you really need to be aware of is making sure that the uh, recipient pool of this, of the waivers and discounts is small. And you also need to have policies and procedures in place regarding uh, who qualifies for these uh, discounts and waivers. Uh, that way it's set in stone and it's not going to be a situation where it's um, left up to the, left up to the provider to ultimately determine who who qualifies. And also, if a discount or waiver is given, then you need to have policies and procedures in place to determine uh, what happens with uh, what happens with that claim to make sure uh, the claim isn't uh, submitted incorrectly uh, and would lead you to uh, get a situation where a false claims uh, violation occurs. So, that's that is my my recommendation on that. If ultimately discounts and waivers are given, uh, I'll recap that. Make sure the recipient pool of those discounts and waivers is small, and make sure you have policies and procedures in place to document uh, what occurs. And uh, real quick, oh, sorry. go ahead. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, no, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say. And real quick, um, if you look at your slides, I have uh, sources for um, everything I talked about today. That's going to be on your uh, PDF uh, copy that you got of the um, presentation, and there will be details on that. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, I was going to say, is there ever some kind of situation where um, perhaps the, the practice or the facility is giving so many discounts that perhaps it could be argued that that is the, the actual price, that that is the new price, that it's not actually a discount, but that's the actual price? You know what I mean? 
I, I do I do know what you mean. That's that's an interesting question, and ultimately, um, that that would be that would be yes, that would be the uh, new pro the usual and customary uh, price, and yeah, it technically wouldn't be a it, you know right right. Uh, it would it wouldn't be seen as a discount, but ultimately you still run into the uh issues of uh it potentially causing for uh over utilization uh right. and the providers the providers' numbers are gonna be uh out of are gonna be out of whack compared to uh that of their peers, so that uh is going to raise some red flags. Right. I wondered about that too. If 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 the if the numbers are then almost like a almost like I don't know not like union but you know they're they are compared to people in their area and to yeah to their peers um, to see if they are in keeping with the standard rate in their area in their you know group etc. Is that that's true? Right, right. Yeah. Yes, yes, because uh, I, I mentioned it previously, but the uh, UPIC, the Uniform Program Integrity Contractor. That's all they do. They <laughs> all they do is look at is look at claims and audit, uh, do audits of uh, claims that come in on their own, and then they will send audit requests to providers. But also they look at uh, utilization rates and uh, ultimately determine how a provider fits in with their uh, respective peers in geographic in a geographic area. And if you are uh, leading the nation in a certain uh, utilization, and uh, the person next to you is significantly uh, below that, then that's really going to raise uh, raise a red flag. So yes, uh, that's that's something to be concerned about. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Trey. Did you have any other words of advice or anything else that you wanted to leave with us today? Uh, no, other than uh, feel free to, again, uh, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. Reach out to uh, Catherine uh, if for some unknown reason you forgot uh, my contact information or uh, don't have it handy. And also, uh, check out all the great uh, presentations that uh, First Healthcare Compliance has. They have a lot of uh, great uh, product, uh, a lot of great presentations uh, out there on a multitude of uh, different areas. So uh, just spend some time exploring. I'm sure there's something even uh, the provider that has been practicing for many years, I'm sure there's something out there that the provider uh, can learn that would ultimately help uh, help their business. And uh, thank you again uh, for your time. I uh, definitely appreciate it. And uh, thank you, uh, Catherine and First Health Care Compliance for having me. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And um... Yes, um, that's true. We do have um, quite a bit of information. We and we also have um, uh, so we have especially on our um, our YouTube channel, which you can look up. Um, you can either find the information on our website at firsthcc.com or on our YouTube site, which is um, you just look up on YouTube First Healthcare Compliance, and we have a lot of different um, uh, um, 
you know, playbacks of our webinars there. Um, and uh, we have some other um, ones with, with Trey Scott. Um, and uh, we also have on our website um, some great information. Um, and we have some blogs and an ebook and everything with uh, Trey Scott as well, um, which I'm sure you would love to, to take a look at. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Trey. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Yes, thank you again. I definitely appreciate it. Yes, and um, attendees, thank you so much for attending as well. And please use the contact information on the screen if you have any further questions. And if you send us any questions later, we'll forward them on to Trey. Please remember your PACOM and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.